Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Welcome, everybody, into another episode of the Brett Allen Podcast. It's great to have you here, the Brett Allen Show. Our guest today is Carol Baskin. That's right, Carol Baskin from Tiger King fame, Dancing with the Stars, and Big Cat Rescue. We have a fun conversation about this. So many things that we covered in this exclusive interview. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Carol was absolutely amazing. Stay tuned for more episodes coming down the pike. But today, enjoy our exclusive interview with Carol Baskin. You're listening to The Brett Allen Show, a pop culture podcast. Have you subscribed to this show yet? I've tried bribes. I've tried gifts. You should. It's absolutely free. I even sent him some pet oxen. Now back to the show with your host, Brad Allen. Idly hey. Welcome to another episode of The Brad Allen Show. Prepare to be astonished. A pop culture podcast. Join Brett Weekly as he interviews your favorite celebrities from film, <gasps> oh, television, I'm back in business, baby. comedy, and much more. Inconceivable! Plus, you never know who will stop by. Dude, we are so gonna party! Now, here's your host, Brett Allen. We are chatting with Carol Baskin from Tiger King fame and Dancing with the Stars fame, and just about everywhere else on the interwebs. And I want to start out, Carol, if you don't mind, talking about Big Cat Rescue, because this is a project that you are passionate about and something that you have been involved with for a very, very long time. You founded this, and we got a glimpse of it when you were on television. But if you could please let our listeners in, those of us who love animals, who love cats, who love the lions and tigers, if you could just give us a synopsis, if you wouldn't mind, about what Big Cat Rescue is and what it is that you do with this animal reserve or this animal rescue. The sanctuary actually started in 1992 with the rescue of a single bobcat by the name of Winsong that led us to a fur farm the following year where we rescued 56 bobcats and lynx who were going to be killed for their fur. That led us to rescuing 28 cats off another fur or off of that same fur farm again. So that all the cats were out of there. And then the third year we rescued 22 bobcats off another fur farm. And then people started calling and saying, Hey, would you take my lion? Would you take my tiger? And I was thinking, what on earth are people doing with lions and tigers? That was how the sanctuary started. And so we started allowing people to come out and visit around 1995 or so and they would come out and help us take care of the cats that grew into our volunteer program. They wanted to come out and tour the cats that grew into our tours of the sanctuary. And then we uh, built a gift shop and it's been operating as a nonprofit where we rescue animals and give them a permanent home for the rest of their lives for all these years. Take anybody's pet away from them, but it, it prohibits them from buying or breeding more because these animals don't belong in backyard cages. A single tiger would roam hundreds of square miles in the wild. And so I don't think there's any cage that is sufficient, including the cages of big cat rescue. We have to have cats in cages because once a cat is born in captivity and we rescue that animal, there's no place, it's not even legal, but there's no place to release that animal. And it's just, we shouldn't be breeding them for life in prison. I find this to be fascinating in the sense of, 
why would somebody even in their wildest dreams or imaginations want to have one of these animals as a pet? Like it's so bizarre to me because the fact that yes, they are cute and cuddly at the very beginning, but then eventually they become something else. And I understand that the lifespan of them can be upwards of 20 plus years. So they're cute and cuddly, as I said, for a while. And then all of a sudden now they have become these wild animals. That's the headline that I want to find out about is why, why would somebody even want to do this and take them and keep them in their backyard? There's a really good movie that just came out called The Conservation Game. It came out at the Santa Barbara Film Festival and it won the Social Justice Award. It hasn't been available for the public to see yet. There's going to be a red carpet premiere of it in Washington, D.C. in June, I think like the third week of June. But it essentially explains how on earth it is that people in America thought that it would be cool to have a tiger as a pet. And it all dates back to, if you can remember back in the 80s, it used to be a really big deal on shows like the Johnny Carson show. And then later, John, uh, Jeff, who is it? Leno. Um, all of these guys would invite these conservationists who would come onto their shows with cute little baby cubs of all kinds of wildlife. And people saw that and they thought, I want to be that cool guy with a tiger cub on a leash <laughs> or a lion on a leash. And it was so disnified for them because, you know, people who live where lions and tigers live, they don't want these animals as pets. But here in the U.S., we don't realize that clearly a lot of people don't realize that these animals grow up to be 300, 500 pounds, you know. And it was a result of people seeing that, that they wanted to do it. There was no laws against it. And so people would go out and purchase these animals other people would make a living pimping these cubs out so that you could have that experience but not have to take it home. And that puts over 200 cubs per year into this industry where they can only be used until they're about 12 to 15 weeks old. And then they're ended up discarding them into pet homes and backyards and basements and sometimes into the illegal trade for their parts. So it's a huge industry that all was started because of people like Jack Hanna and Boone Smith and Dave Salmoni and the Irwin family showing off by petting these cute little cubs on TV. It, it's just, we shouldn't be breeding them for life in prison to begin with. And as long as people will pay to see or pet a cub, they're going to keep breeding them. The problem is there's nowhere to put that animal for the next 20 years because they can live 20 years and they're only valuable for about the first four months. So after they're five months old, now they're a huge liability. I want to move to the topic, if we can, Carol, of zoos and places where you can visit animals and things like that. I know this is a little bit different than what you do, but my question is when animals are at a place like this and we visit them, we feed them, sometimes you can have special moments with them, not necessarily pet them or get close to them like in one of these other places where they have these baby cubs that you try and connect with or get pictures with. But the big question I would have, do zoos or places like that when these animals get to a point where they can no longer care for them or they don't, they're not able to provide the necessary care and that sort of thing, do they wind up in a place like yours or no, you're shaking your head. No. <laughs> okay. 
well, they may end up at a place like mine if they're rescued by some other sanctuary. Whenever we rescue cats, we require that the people who are getting rid of the animal sign a contract with us that they'll never own another exotic cat because we don't want to enable that bad behavior of constantly buying or breeding cubs in order to um, have them on display. So a place like Six Flags, I know in the past they used to do cub petting there. I don't know if they still do that. In fact, their veterinarian is now the veterinarian for the USDA. And so she's like, I don't see anything wrong with cup petting because that's the way she was raised at the Six Flags Park. But the whole thing is a matter of philosophy. So a sanctuary does not buy or breed or sell or allow public contact with the animals. Zoos buy and breed and sell and in some cases allow public contact with the animals. So it's the whole difference between zoos and sanctuaries was totally lost in Tiger King. I think they did their best to try and say they're all the same because they have cats <laughs> and it's like, no, they're, they're there for totally different reasons. We don't want to exist. We don't want there to be places like these roadside zoos that are breeding these cubs and then getting rid of them so they can get more cubs. That shouldn't happen in the first place. And if the public knew what really happened to those animals, they would never support that. I find all of this to be so interesting and intriguing, Carol. And obviously you talk about Tiger King a lot, I'm sure, in every single interview. And that's really how I was introduced to you. And I don't want to belabor the topic of Tiger King, but I am very curious about these people who want to take pictures with these small animals or adopt them as pets. And from what I understand, there is obviously a clear danger in that. But my question I would ask you is this. Do the tigers or the lions or the, the animal cubs imprint on human beings when they are so little? Is that what makes them so palpable and easy to take photos with or to visit? I'm, I'm, I'm interested in finding out why it's so safe, so to speak, or at least appear to be safe, uh, to take pictures with these animals, if, if that question makes any kind of sense. One of the things that was good about Tiger King is it showed that one scene where the mother tiger was giving birth and actually giving birth. They've got this metal hook and they're dragging that baby away from her across the gravel to the side where they're pulling the cat through the wire. And when people saw that, they saw the truth about this industry. These cubs are taken from their mothers at birth. They're never allowed to go back to their mothers. And so they are bottle raised. You can't go to the store and buy tiger milk. It's not available. The stuff that you feed them is like kitten milk replacer, puppy milk replacer, which is not sufficient for a growing tiger for a cat that's going to be several hundred pounds in the first year. And so as a result, these cubs are highly nutri nutrition deficient. You may be aware of Jeff Lowe, who was also in Tiger King. The Department of Justice recently went in and seized all of his big cats. And the reason they said they did it was because he was harming them under what USDA and the ESA considers harm by virtue of the fact that he was taking the cubs away from their mothers and then feeding them this deficient diet that causes metabolic bone disease where they can just jump off of a chair and break a leg. Um, their teeth start to rot out very quickly and they often are very crippled. And so when you talk about these cubs being docile, the way that people make them docile for the cub petting. And if you think about what like kittens are like, you know, domestic cat kittens, they don't want to be held and petted. They want to jump and bite and scratch and run around and zoom all over the place. And that's what lion and tiger cubs want to do. 
So the only way that they can keep them still for people to pet them and have their picture made is to starve them, have them so exhausted they can barely do anything. Sometimes they'll give the person a bottle to hold for the cat, and that may be the only food that cat's gotten all day. So the cat is like so focused on the bottle, it's not screaming and trying to get away from you. There was a place here in Florida, and there's still a place in South Carolina, where they will throw the cubs into a pool over in water over their heads so that they will come and hang on to you because they can't swim that long or that well when they're tiny babies like that. And that's how people would get the pictures of themselves with a cub hugging them. And so everything that you see around a cub, a picture of a cub being petted, all of that has been absolute torture for that cub, but it's presented to the public as you're saving this baby, the mother rejected it, you're the hero because all of this is about conservation and saving them for future generations. And people eat that up because they want to pet the cub. They're adorable. You can understand why everybody would want to do that until they knew the truth. I find all of this just so fascinating, Carol, and I appreciate your time in answering these questions. Again, they just come out of pure curiosity We've covered a lot in this conversation so far. So we have the zoos, we have these animal safaris, so to speak, that you can come visit and that sort of thing. But my question would be, when people come to conservation places like yourselves or reserves, I don't know, maybe you do or don't, and you're essentially walking into a lion's cage, no pun intended, do you have to sign a waiver of some kind or some sort of documentation that doesn't hold or that does hold the sanctuary or whatever the place might be liable in case one of the cubs does follow their instinct uh, and decide to attack somebody? That's frequently the case that there is a waiver that you have to sign. But I'm glad you mentioned what happens over in South Africa because they have taken this to a further extreme even than the U.S. So people will pay to go take care of the orphaned cubs. They're not orphaned cubs. Those mothers were bred right back as soon as those cubs were pulled. And then as soon as they're too big for cub handling and petting, Then they move them into what they call walk with the lion camps, where you can go into these open fields and you can walk with these juvenile lions. And people love that because they think that they're like out in nature and that they're bonding with these wild animals. And then they take them from that stage when they get too big for that and they put them into another holding area where people will pay to shoot them for trophies. And so these are animals who have been around people their entire lives. They have no idea that they should be running in terror once they're moved into that other last stage of their life. And the people who are paying to pet the cubs and to walk with the lions, they would be appalled if they knew that the end of the line for these cats is for them to be shot at a feeding station by some dentist or doctor who's paid $50,000 to come do that. So I was thrilled that the Minister of Wildlife in South Africa just recently came forward and said, we are not having this in this country. This is this is bad, bad PR for us. We are going to stop this. And I really hope that she is able to overcome all of the, you know, Safari Club International and all of those people that want to kill these animals in cages. I really hope that she is able to do that. But that's her, her uh, intent at this moment. Well, Carol, I find all of this just absolutely fascinating, and I want to talk about the pandemic. I don't want to make this a doom and gloom interview, but obviously you, along with thousands and thousands of other businesses, 
were affected by this. And it came out later during this pandemic that animals could be affected by the virus also. So my question to you, Carol, would be how did this affect your business and how did it all wind up panning out for you as far as that being part of your income? I'm sure people coming and visiting the sanctuary, how you were able to manage and to to make all of that work for yourself. In 2020 was bad for everybody, but for us, we shut our gates to visitors on March the 15th because we didn't want to take a chance of spreading COVID here. And then on March the 20th, Tiger King came out and painted a horrible false narrative of who we are and what we do that caused people to want to come here and burn the place to the ground. So we couldn't have guests for the longest time. And then we all discovered that cats could catch COVID and die from it. So now that there are vaccines to protect our people, we're protected, but the cats still aren't. So those tours of the sanctuary were about a million dollars of our three and a half to $4 million a year budget. And we have not been able to, to go back to opening tours because we can't put our cats at risk. All of this is just fascinating. Now, something else that you have gotten involved in is a cryptocurrency type program. I don't know if that's the way to describe it. If you wouldn't mind, Carol, just letting our listeners in on that and what that's all about and how that has helped your business out, especially in 2021 and during 2020 as well, during this crazy pandemic that we had. We launched our first cat coin. It's called cat at rally.io. And my purpose of launching that was as sort of a entry fee token to our big cat virtual world. We have a game that's available in headsets called Big Cat Rescue VR, where you learn about tiger poaching and you actually save a tiger from poachers and release her back to the wild. And then at the end of the game, you can contact your member of Congress and ask them to support the Big Cat Public Safety Act. So what I envision for Big Cat Rescue is, are you familiar with Burning Man? They had to go virtual because of COVID. And they created a virtual playa and people went in there and they could transport around and you could talk to people just like you could in real world stuff. And so what I see for Big Cat Rescue is that kind of a world environment where you put on your headset and you can talk to people who care about wild animals all around the world meeting together in this place. I felt like the cat coin was like the first entry for people to get used to the idea of crypto and how that works to then move them into that world scenario where they start realizing that there are so much better ways to protect big cats than what we've done in the past. And it will be through virtual reality, through these internet streaming cameras and all of these different assets. So it's not a currency, we call it a currency. It's not an investment. It's a, um, it's a entry fee into our big cat world that we're currently building. Well, I have to say, Carol, this has been a fun and fantastic conversation. So much information. And I want to say thank you just for the education that you provided to me and to our listeners about Big Cat Rescue and what it takes to really run an operation like this and to make us all self-aware. And it's it's been a lot of fun, Carol. Thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. It's been an honor to have you. Thank you, Brett. That brings today's show to a close. Goodly do. Thanks for stopping by. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to share it with a friend and subscribe. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of the guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Autobots, roll out.
Go home.